Uh, my name is Winnie, and I'm really glad to be here. Um, It's really good to do that before I've disappointed you too much. So I'm, yeah, I'll take it. You know, for for a lot of for you, um, you've been waiting longer than I have to figure out how this transition happens. And so for, I'm just going to do this. For those of you, there's a better time to do it. I'll just do it now. There's a better time to say, but you need to know that there have been people that have been working on this in this community for a long time. Um, and let's just see them. So there's some uh, search committee people. Even if you were just on one that a while ago, but yeah, you got to stand up. There's some search committee folks, even if you really love someone else. Come on. Yeah. And there's some vestry, if you've been on the vestry in this transition at all, if you'd get up. I can... S yep. And there's a whole group of people um, on your staff and here that are working on this transition and have made me feel so welcome this week and before you've arrived and made this really, really easy. Um, you should stand up as well, and I want to thank you. Thank you. If you work in the church, get up. Thank you. And I asked them to do it because it's a lot of emotion, right? A lot of us have, it's been a lot of work for a long time, and I haven't been in it that long, and I'm feeling a lot. Um, so I bet there's a lot out there. Um, so I'll just say, just to get it out there at the beginning, um, if you had your heart set on someone else being your rector, here's the moment to, you know what? It's only uphill from here. However disappointed you are, it's just going to get better. Um, and for those of you for whom I might have been exactly who you wanted, I hope it takes a long time before we're disappointed again together. I hope we, we get to go forward strong for a long time. I'm really, really happy to be here with you, and I've been thinking about this day and what I want to say for months, months. I've been thinking about it, I've been reading, I've been praying about it. You know, it's COVID, I haven't had a lot else to do, frankly. I've been thinking about it. And I have to tell you, and I said this at eight, um, shocked, because my brain is usually pretty good at letting me know what should happen, right? Reading the text, knew it was coming, knew it was possible. This one story has stuck with me this entire time, so it's been months for me, and it's not my story. So I've been thinking about that, because you're not really supposed to tell other people's stories, right? You're supposed to tell your story, and especially as a preacher, if you want to know me a little bit, the right thing to do would be to tell you a great story about me or my family. But there's one story that has stuck with me the entire time, all the way through last night when I was really hoping another one would come and this morning. So let me tell it to you. Um, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, um, in Church of South India, Marthama Episcopal Churches, right? And my family, my parents are immigrants from India. They came in 1970, and I was born in 1972. 
And occasionally, there would be these church conferences for our community, people from the Church of South India that had come from the Orthodox churches. It was a really small, specialized group of people, frankly. Not a lot of us on the planet. And we would have these conferences, and there was this priest um, who I remember is really dynamic and just seemed great. Like, it was my dad's age, kind of big, burly, handsome, fun, loud guy who preached and spoke, if I remember correctly, in Malayalam, which I don't speak, not in English but I remember him as heroic. His son is a priest, a little bit older than me, um, and I won't name him or get into any more detail in case I tell his story wrong, um, and he's a great priest in the church, and I would have thought of him as someone with that dad, like really rooted in this life, right, and similar to me in many ways, a little bit older, and in that kind of dog year way that when you're a teenager, someone's just a little bit older and knows everything. He once told a story of going home to India, this is after we're all priests. And I'm listening it to it, feeling so at home in his voice, in his person, remembering his dad, remembering being a kid. And he tells a story of going home to India, and he's from a place very near where my mom is from, so I remember this place. I lived there when I was very small. And he tells a story of going to visit his grandfather, who was his favorite, loves him, um, and going on a walk with him at night, probably to go to a church meeting, something like that. Now, my grandmother never took me on a walk at night, but what I remember about that night in the 70s in rural India is it was very dark. You really hoped you didn't need to get up and go to the restroom in the middle of the night because it was dark. And who knows what kind of snakes or critters or whatever else was out there, right? And we were all from the suburbs. I grew up in Dallas where the hall light was left on so that people like me could make their way in the dark, right? It was dark is what I remember. So he says he's going out for a walk with his grandpa. His grandfather's holding his hand, like down here, up here, you remember that very sweet feeling, and has a torch, he says, which, flashlight, right, has a flashlight, and they're walking up this dark hill together in the forest, and he says his grandfather starts to swing the torch. That's why I'm standing here and not up there, I didn't get lost, I want to do this, swinging it, and immediately I start to fill out the story in my mind. Why would you swing a torch? Oh, well, maybe he hadn't had a flashlight. Maybe he's used to a lamp or something, an oil lamp, but that doesn't really make sense. Or maybe he meant a torch, but that doesn't really make sense. He's swinging it. And my friend talks about the fact that when it comes like this, you could see the path in front of you. There's trees everywhere, dark night. When he went like this, you really couldn't. You had to hope you remembered what you had seen. And so I thought he was going to go somewhere like that. I'm filling out the story the entire time he's talking, right? But he doesn't. He's going like this. He talks about being scared. He's walking up this hill and he can't see. So finally, he asks his grandfather, what, what are you doing? And he says, well, this is for us and this is for people behind. It's like, oh, yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's beautiful, right, like that, and behind. And maybe the reason I'm thinking about this man's story is this is actually what we do in church, isn't it? Like we don't all, the first century didn't have a Carrie Tea Garden telling them exactly what was happening at the time that they recorded in the Bible. What they had were people telling stories of stories of people saying we have encountered God. We have encountered God's kingdom, God's vision, God's justice. And this is what happened to those that encountered it in their time. So concretely in today's readings, right, that the epistle references back to the gospel, references back to the reading about um, Moses. There it is, people telling stories about a story about a story. This happened, we promise, and this is how it all fits together. So ahead and behind, right? Moses 
as we all like to recall, didn't sign up for the story that we get about Moses. Moses was born enslaved. All that Moses was expected to do, hoped to do, was survive because he had a smart sister and a brave mother and father because there was this princess that saves him, right? Just to survive would have been enough, more than enough. Survive to a time when something better could happen. But he ends up in the courts of the Pharaoh and he ends up witnessing violence towards one of his own people by someone, by a, a, a manager basically, someone who is frankly more like him. And the rage, the impotence of his self in the courts comes up and he, he commits murder. He kills someone and flees. So even the little bit that was hoped for Moses doesn't work out in the Moses story, he's gone. And he is happily living his life as a shepherd. And it doesn't say that Moses is unhappy or restless or worried or struggling internally. Moses is okay. And God comes to Moses and says, I have a plan. Remember that part of the story? It's pretty awful. Go back to that place where you committed murder, where you're known, where all that was hoped is that you would survive and set your people free. And as, and, and he does it, it actually happens, right? But as if that weren't enough, I just think it doesn't say, and then for about 40 years, you're gonna go for a walk with them where their daily needs will not be met and they will rely on you for them, but you won't really be able to produce them. It doesn't say that. It's not, that's not the burning bush message to Moses. So he does the impossible. And then he does this daily grind of trying to figure out what it means to be free. We all know something about that, right? What does it mean that we are here and we are free? And the people ask in verse after verse and chapter after chapter, how will we eat? What is a future? What does the right look like? Maybe back there was as good as it was gonna get. Who were we to think we could do any more? And Moses doesn't have any great answers. And so it is this weary, broken-hearted man who asks to see the face of God. And you'd really think that would be the least God could do at this point, right? Poor Moses, I feel for that man. And God says, you're actually not up to it. You can't bear it. And so what we've just heard, what, we, what happens right before the reading we heard today, is in some way, God passes by Moses, right? God gets near. He doesn't really get to see. It's interesting translations of what it means. And then in these encounters with God, the God that Moses has been talking to for most of his life, in this last encounter, he is so changed, so profoundly changed, that the people cannot look at him anymore. They cannot bear to look at his face. It makes me think every time I see it, what could happen to a face that we couldn't bear to look at it anymore? How shiny can shiny be, right? What is that? Is there some word that we don't know of what happened to Moses? They've been looking at him for years. They've been mad at him for years. He led them through the Red Sea. But it says, for the rest of his life, he covers his face with a veil when, he is present, when he's in front of the people because they cannot bear him. The only time he is truly himself is when he is in front of God. We both think, what does that mean? 
And yet, of course, for all of us, there are things, right? There are truths about ourselves. There are parts of us that are only known to us and God, right? It's just the truth of human existence. We wish it were not. And Moses lays this out for us. He is filled with light because the presence of God is light, but it is unbearable. This is the prophetic witness in the Hebrew scripture, in the gospels, in the Christian tradition. The prophets are not the people that make it easy, right? The prophets are the one that not just can no one bear to look at their face, no one wants to hear their words. Could they stop? Could they find another message? Could we just take a break? It's a pandemic after all, right? How many hundreds of years can we talk about these same things? Many, many, many is what the Bible tells us, that God will come and God will change us and God will speak in every generation, frankly, whether we like it or not. Now, when it happens to Jesus, which is the story we get today, Jesus isn't changed, it says. He doesn't get shiny because Jesus is Jesus. But we still say transfigured. The word trans has so much power in this time, right? To become who you are, even if it's not who we thought you were or who the world would like you to be, to become exactly who you are. Jesus, when Jesus is transfigured, everything around him changes. His clothes become so white and bright that people don't know what to make of it, right? So shiny, so bizarrely light, because it is light that is God in the beginning, light. Jesus is transfigured. But even for those disciples, even for those storytellers that tell this story, that's not quite enough. It has to be put in light of that light that swings forward and backward, right? There was Moses, there was Elijah, and this really beautiful idea that's a little like phrase that they were talking, right? Not just that they appeared together in those booths that Peter wanted to build, but they're actually chatting. You gotta wonder about that, right? What would Elijah say to Jesus? What would Moses say to Jesus? We could just spend the whole, we could just be quiet for a while and think about that, right? But I feel much better about the rest of Jesus' days that he had a moment to talk to those two. They were talking, it says. And the story reminds us that Jesus is in the tradition of the prophets, like the new Moses, Joshua, Yeshua, the great prophet Elijah that tells the people who they are and who they can be so far beyond what those little communities of people should have imagined they could make possible. So the way the story of this thing goes is my friend is telling the story of this light and I am sitting trying not to cry, remembering my grandmother and those dark nights and how I wish I could get back to that kind of sweetness, even in the dark and even afraid. And he's walking up the mountain or the hill. He says they're probably going to a church meeting of some kind and the thing is swinging and he's kind of made his peace with it. Like what's gonna happen is gonna happen. At least your grandfather's there and they're walking. And as he gets comfortable, he starts to look around and his eyes acclimate. I know all the outdoorsy people have already probably taken this in a certain direction that I would too. But he, it's not that he sees the stars because we're in the forest. He can't really see up. 
he looks around and realizes there actually are people back there. It's pretty cool, and he can see their lights too when they swing up. It's pretty cool, except that he doesn't need to know where he's been, he thinks, but he can see that. And then he says he looks forward and realizes there's a little bit of light sometimes coming from between the trees and the bushes, a little bit of light up there, because other people are also swinging their torches, like his grandfather was swinging them. And he says after a while he realizes there's actually a little path they're all following. It's kind of a line almost. There's somewhere they're going, and there's some people up ahead. And it had taken him a while to lift up his head and acclimate and realize it. We too are on a path a well-trodden path. There have been many before us, many. And we get them in these great books and stories and this music in you, in your lives, many. There are many, many, many coming up behind as well, many. We are not alone. And it's okay to be afraid. There absolutely might be a snake down there or a really prickly pineapple bush if you're not careful. That's okay too. We are in these bodies in this time for a reason but there are great things ahead, painful things ahead, right things ahead. The gift of prophecy, the mantle, is on us, not me, on us, all of us, and I could not be more excited and happy to be on this path with you. Amen.